0: Open up your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 16. Turn over your announcements and use notes on the other side. Today's message is entitled Watchmen. And it's not that dirty superhero movie that came out. I wanted to see it until I saw it was rated R and nudity and all of that. God forbid if we compromise for superheroes. Amen? If you feel convicted, say amen anyhow. <laughs> God will set you free. Ezekiel chapter 3, Watchmen. The biblical story came first, by the way. So they copyright infringed on Ezekiel. Look at your neighbor and say, Are you a watchman? I preached this passage before in this congregation, but it was quite some time ago. Many of you are new here. Most of you might never have heard it before. So I want to preach it to you as if it was my first time because it's fresh from the heart of God and it struck my heart this week in reading the passage in Ezekiel chapter 3. As I've been reading through the prophets, I started with Jeremiah and now I'm with Ezekiel and I'll probably move on down to what's known as the Minor Prophets. And what God has been speaking to my heart is that we are in a time very close to judgment. Everybody say Armageddon. Armageddon. Do you know that you can get so used to hearing those terms that after a while they don't really seem reality anymore? You can say Armageddon, Judgment Day, Four Horsemen, and now people don't even think twice about it. There's jokes about it. You know, the Four Horsemen, they'll compare it to something else and tell a joke. You'll have movies come out, Armageddon, and at the end, the superhero will save the day, Ben Affleck. There he goes. You'll see these movies, and it's always like it's about ready to happen. It's a natural disaster. It's an act of God, but somebody will come and save the day. Let me tell you something, my friends. The day of God's judgment will be more terrifying than anything you've ever seen in a movie, and there will be no one to save you. The only ones that will be saved are those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and you're saved now. It's not you get saved then, you get saved now. Amen? So I want to proclaim to you, get saved and get right with God. But this message is not for those who are not right with God, though I know it will definitely scare the hell right out of you. But this message is for those who are saved, sanctified, and filled With the Holy Ghost and fire. Anybody got that fire? Woo! I want to challenge you today with the same call that God gave Ezekiel to be a watchman. And it's okay. It doesn't have to be gender specific. Watch women. We're all of mankind. Amen? We're okay with it. Look at your neighbor and say, we're okay with it. Look at Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 16. If you're there, say, I'm there. Here God is speaking to Ezekiel. At the end of the seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, I have made you a... There you go. Say it again. Made you a watchman for the house of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to a wicked man, you will surely die and you do not warn him or speak out to dissuade him from his evil ways in order to save his life, that wicked man will die for his sin, and I will hold you accountable for his blood. Look at your neighbor and say, God's talking to you. See, just look up for a moment, please. Jesus did not say, I'm going to hold the crack addict responsible, the murderer, the child molester. No, no, no. He said, I'm going to hold the prophet responsible. And by the definition of a prophet in the Old Testament, it was those who heard the word of the Lord. Now we are all considered priests and prophets because we all hear the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. So everybody is responsible. Continuing on in verse 19. But if you do warn the wicked man, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his evil ways, he will die for his sin, but you will have saved yourself. Verse 20, again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and does evil, I will put a stumbling block before him. Who puts the stumbling block before him? God does that. The devil is not the only one that can make people's life difficult. God making people's life difficult, however, is for redemptive purposes. He says, I will put a stumbling block. In their way he will die since you did not warn him he will die for his sin the righteous things he did will not be remembered and I will hold you accountable for his blood one quick side note in there is there is a backslider in the Bible. Some people have taught that you can't backslide, that once you believe in Jesus, it's okay. No, that is not true, and that is why we believe in re-baptizing backsliders, because it says the righteous things they have done will no longer count. So beware. Listen to me, my friend. You can be as saved as the pastor, and I'll talk about myself, but if you backslide and stand before God in heaven, you will not be remembered for any of those things. As a matter of fact, God will tell you, depart from me, for I never knew you. You say, how could God not know me? He knew my name. He called me because God does not look on sin. I've had people try to use that passage and say, well, if he never knew them, that meant meant they were never saved. Because if you're truly saved, you'll never backslide. That's a lie, too. Because how can a righteous person do righteous things unless they're saved? It just says they were righteous and they did righteous things. So sometimes people say, well, only those backslide who weren't really serious. No, you can be really serious about God and really backslide. There have been pastors that have served God wonderfully for many years, 20 years, and then you hear about them snorting crystal meth with a homosexual prostitute. That's called backsliding, friends. David in the Bible was a righteous man, committed adultery and murder, and he begged God for mercy and said, Don't take your Holy Spirit from me, because he knew if God took his Holy Spirit, none of the righteous things he had done would be remembered. David knew that. Somebody say, Amen. And then the next thing that we notice right here is that if they turn from their ways, it's still the watchman's job to warn them. Now look at verse 21. But if you warn the righteous man not to sin and he does not sin, he will surely live because he took warning and you will have saved yourself. Somebody say, save yourself. Look at your neighbor and say, save yourself. Now, I know that may seem contrary to the doctrine of grace, which we believe as good Protestants, that you're not saved by works, you're saved by grace. But you have to understand that a saved person will do certain works. That if you're truly saved, you'll do certain things. Those certain things necessarily don't bring ultimate salvation, but they will save you in the sense from destruction of the things that come in your life. Let me give you an example. Today I'm born again, I love Jesus. If I don't look at pornography, I'm saving myself from that pitfall. Do you understand? You see, I didn't ultimately bring myself salvation, but there's decisions now that I make in salvation that can prevent me from falling. And what he's saying right here to the watchman, to the prophet, is that you can save yourself from all of these troubles of judgment. That's what he's talking about, the troubles of judgment, if you warn wicked people and their wickedness and warn righteous people to keep being right or it won't go good for them. Somebody say, I'm a watchman. We're going to speak it by faith. Say, I'm a watchman. I'm going to ask Andrew to put up the image of what God was giving him in this passage as you turn with me to Acts twenty twenty six, Turn to that passage as this image is coming on the screen. God was telling Ezekiel, I'll hold you accountable for their blood. Paul in the New Testament understood this concept. In Acts 20, 26, he had preached faithfully to many different towns and cities and villages. He had ordained elders and deacons, as we do in this church. He had been faithful to preach the uncorrupted, uncompromising gospel. And at the end of his journey... This is what he says to possibly his favorite church, the church of Ephesus. He says in chapter 20, verse 26, he says, Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Verse 28, keep watch. Somebody say, keep watch. You see... Paul knew what he was saying here. He says, I'm free from your blood. Now you elders, you keep watch. you got to be a watchman. He said, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood. I know after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will rise and distort the truth in order to to draw away disciples after them. Look at that. Not only will people backslide, but backsliders will become leaders to have other people backslide. Verse 31, so be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning you, each of you, each night and day with tears. How well have you done your job? I want to ask you now. You see, you call yourself a Christian. You hear the word of the Lord. How many night and days have you warned people with tears? There was a story one time in England. A man was being led to the death chamber to be hung. And there was an old Anglican priest following him along, doing his duty half-hearted, And he said to the man, do you want to say your final rites? Do you want to make sure you can go to heaven? And the prisoner looked at him in disgust and said, heaven, hell, I don't believe in any of it. And the priest said, if you don't believe, you'll go to hell. And he was taken back by this man's brass unwillingness to even care. And the man said, I don't care. All you preachers, priests, you're liars. And the man looked at him and said, what makes you say that? We believe the Word. Here's the Bible. And the prisoner looked at the priest and said, if I even believed in a place called hell for just one year, I would crawl on my hands and knees from here to London to spare just one soul from going there. He said, you don't believe in it because you have no passion to save me from it. Do you know that the world looks at us And says, how could they believe in a hell if they themselves don't care about me going there? They think about us as the typical person walking on the street who gets cut off in traffic or almost gets hit by a car and they yell at the passerby or the car, go to hell. They think of Christians holding up signs, sinners go to hell. And then what do sinners say back to us? Fine, I'll go to hell, all my friends will be there and you won't be there, it'll be a lot more funner. Or people who think through it theologically begin to think to themselves, well, there really couldn't be a hell because if there's a loving God, how could he send somebody there for eternity? And have you ever even thought about that argument? It's kind of convincing for those of you who are softies when it comes to righteousness and judgment. Think about your pet. It's not even a human being. Think about the worst thing your pet could do. Maybe scratch or hurt your child. What would the worst thing you would do? You would execute it. But would you put gasoline on it and burn it and let it continually live and suffer and burn it and burn it and burn it for a year? If you did that, they would lock you up. So why would God do that? Why doesn't He just annihilate you at best? That's what Jehovah Witnesses say. Have you ever thought about their argument? See, some of you here are just getting awakened to it. Wow, I never thought about it that way. How can God be loving and yet damn a soul for eternity? And yet this is His creation. You want to know why God can damn a soul for eternity? Because God is an eternal God and to reject Him has eternal consequences. I'm going to say that again. You see, you're not dealing with Bob and you're not dealing with your child. You're dealing with an eternal God. And to reject an eternal God has eternal consequences on your soul. And God will damn a soul forever in hell. And you and I ought to understand that. And there ought to be brokenness in our hearts. When was the last time you even wept one time for the lost? Some of you have seen me up here weeping uncontrollably. Why? Because God is touching my heart for the lost. One time I went to a prison... And I saw all these juvenile delinquents there. And I began to preach to them hell and how they were going to go to hell. And the professor interrupted my preaching and he began to tell them how much God loved them. And I was so angry at him. I said, you need to tell them. They're all going to hell, you know. They're in jail. They're delinquents. And when I went back to the Bible college, the professor and the president sat down with me. And began to rebuke me for having no heart of compassion while speaking about hell. And the president took a water bottle that he had just finished and he set it down in front of me. And he said, when you cry this full of tears, then preach about hell. Because you don't have the right heart to even talk about it. You see, some of you here, you either ignore it totally, you just tell your friends, hey, give Jesus a a try. Like he's the icing on top. You know, it's kind of like you've been out to dinner, and, and, you know, they ask for dessert, and it's kind of like that real, you know, it's a close call. It's like, ah, I could do it, but maybe not. You kind of make Jesus seem like he's the dessert of life. Hey, friend, you know, God's pretty cool. You want him in your life? And they're like, ah, I'm, I'm kind of okay without Jesus right now. And you let them feel like they're okay. Okay, well, you'll do it another time. No, Jesus is not the dessert of life. He's the only thing worth eating. Everything else is dung, the Bible says. Filthy rags that we flesh down the toilet. He is our only hope. So some people totally in this room, you totally ignore hell. You don't tell people the consequences of rejecting Jesus. And then others of you, you know about it all too well. And yet your heart is hard. We have 915 prayer here, and you can hear people crying out for God. And sometimes one of you might wander into our prayer meeting, and you know who you are. That's why some of you try to purposely come late. We know your strategy. Man, they're going to be worshiping for an hour and a half anyway, honey. Let's just come at 1030. We'll be okay. That's all right. We started without you, and Jesus was here. Amen. Amen. And so some of you stumble into the prayer meeting, and you'll see one of our teenage girls, somebody like Lilani. you'll see her crying and weeping, God save Proster, God have mercy on Prosper. Prosper, and he'll catch you off guard. Huh? What's going on here? You know, I began to think to myself, why don't we start the prayer meeting when we say we start church, so that everybody, when they come, they can see the prayer meeting before church. Then I felt like that was just tricking people. I said, I won't do but I thought that would be a good idea. Everybody, you come at 10, and you see really what the church is made of. The church is made of people who are weeping and praying for you, your family, and for lost souls. And anybody here that's ever even cried a tear for a lost soul that has a broken heart is saying, God, break my heart even more. So are you in the category where you ignore hell, you pretend like it doesn't even exist, you don't even think about it, or are you in the other category where your heart has become hard? I want to touch on the other category one more time, you ignore it. I want you to think about this. My sister died 10 years ago in a car accident. If she did not accept the Lord, she's in hell right now. She's been there since the time service started. Have you ever put your hand over a hot fire? How long did you keep it there? My sister's been there for 10 years. Have you ever thought about that? Hitler's been there for almost 60 years. People have been in hell, suffering. There's people you know right now that are there. There's people that you've met that are there. I went to the bank the other day, and there was a a little eulogy set up for a bank teller who had died in a car accident. If she did not know the Lord, she's there right now. While we're sitting here in the land of the living, she's in hell. And the Bible says that she's screaming and she's begging for mercy. And yet it will never come. She'll never have another chance. Some of you mothers here, think about how you raise your children. The Bible says you will forget your own children if you do not teach the gospel to them. When they go to hell, you'll forget they even existed. The Bible says, go to Psalms 1 with me right now. I'll I'll share it with you. The Bible says everyone's memory will be erased of the wicked. You will not remember them at all. That means if, if Cousin Flacco went to hell, you will not remember him anymore. My sister, if she did not make it to heaven, you will not remember her. I will not know her. My mother will not even know her. Look at Psalms chapter 1. Verse 5, Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assemblies of the righteous. Or verse 4, rather. Not so the wicked, they are like the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now let me ask you a question. Are you ready to hear hear the word of the Lord to tell others? Because I'm not going to just preach to you if you're not going to do anything about it. I'm looking for people who want to be watchmen. And I don't care if that offends people. Let me just tell it this way. If you're not offending people every now and then, you're not even preaching the right way. And it will probably be more, more now than then. Amen? People will get offended. Are you ready to preach the gospel? If you're ready, say, I'm there. Say, I'm ready to do this. Let me tell you why I said I'm there, because I forgot to tell you about this. You remember we said the watchmen in Ezekiel's time were there to warn the people? You know what they were literally supposed to do? Stand on top of a wall. And they were supposed to see the incoming enemy come and warn the people not to go into their homes, but to go out and fight. The watchmen were established as what we have now satellites to do. And God was telling Ezekiel that that the land was going to be pillaged spiritually and physically by an army. And imagine this. If it was your job to watch an enemy coming through the gates, you're on the, the, the watch, you're standing where you're supposed to be, and here you go to sleep and the enemy comes in and kills innocent people, wouldn't the blood be on that person's head? Wouldn't they be held responsible? Can you say amen if that's true? That was the example God was giving Ezekiel. So here's where your place is. You stand as a watchman right now in the place that God has put you. You see, today, if you don't warn the people around you, they may not ever get warned. So some of you thought to yourself, man, God saved me, and now I'm in the craziest family. Why am I here? Why am I working this job? Why am I in this community? I asked myself that many times. As Arson and I had a brick thrown at our car. Lord, why? And then he tells me, you're here to warn them. You're here to warn your neighbors. You might say, well, I'm the only one saved in my family. I'm in junior high. You're there to warn your family. Look at those hands. When you stand before God, if you have not warned them, their blood's going to be on your hands. Could you imagine standing before God on Judgment Day and you're sitting there and you're watching your neighbor come and be damned eternally to hell? Could you imagine watching your family? And you're screaming. You're saying, God, have mercy. And yet the angels in heaven are rejoicing because the earth is being cleansed of wickedness. Do you notice that everybody says they want wickedness to leave, but they don't want the wickedness in people to go with them? Or that they don't want the people that are wicked to leave? How does the God how does God cleanse the world of wickedness? Where does wickedness live? Does it live in this piece of paper? Does wickedness live on the computer? No, wickedness lives in men's hearts. So how does God cleanse the earth of wickedness? He cleans it from wicked men. And so here you are on judgment day. You're watching your loved one go by. You're screaming for mercy, but the angels of heaven are rejoicing. And then now you look down at your hand, and this is what it looks like, blood. And God says, I hold you responsible. You didn't warn them. You didn't tell them. You see, it's important that I tell you to tell them because it's part of my job as well. Because Ezekiel was to tell the righteous people to keep being righteous. And am I doing my job this morning? It may not get you jumping up and down and shouting, but it will get me a blessing in heaven. Amen. And I don't know about you, but I got mine. I'm getting mine right now. I'm making sure I'm telling you the part. I'm telling you the deal right here. Now, it's up to you if you tell somebody else. Open up your Bibles to Mark 13. If you're a watchman, posted in your place right now. Say, I'm there. Come on. Somebody say, I want to be a watchman. Man, I wish I had just a quarter of the church today to believe that. Can I just get 25% of y'all to believe that? Come on, somebody say, I'm a watchman. watchman. Say, I'm a watchman. watchman. Praise God. Just speak up and shout and be loud this morning because we need it. We need to encourage each other. Mark 13 gives you that word again, watch. Mark chapter 13, verse 1 talks about the end times. How often we've read this and now we overlook it and forget it. But look what Jesus said, 13 verse 1. As he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stone, what magnificent buildings. He's pointing to the, to the temple, by the way. Do you see all these great buildings? Replied Jesus. Not one stone here will be left upon another. Every stone will be thrown down. That happened in 70 AD. The temple was destroyed. The only thing remaining now is the wall. The wailing wall, as they call it. Verse 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when these things will happen, and what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled. Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Somebody say, watch out. out. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, watch out. out. You see, Jesus tells the disciples, he says, watch out. Watch out. Come on, do you see something going on here, people? We're supposed to be watchmen. We're supposed to be watching out. And what are we watching out now for? Is it the uh, captivity of Babylon and the Assyrians that Ezekiel and his prophets were dealing with? No. We're watching out for the second return of Jesus Christ. We're watching out for Jesus Christ to split the clouds and come down and take over this place. To set every wrong right, to reward and be glorified in his people, and to condemn and judge and damn forever the wicked and those who reject him. Watch out! And now these signs begin to be listed. I have 10 of them listed right on our storefront window. And it says, Are you ready for Jesus? Here they are quickly. There'll be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be people coming in Jesus' name claiming that they're the Messiah. Nation will rise up against nation. There'll be earthquakes and famines. There will be persecution of the Christian church. And the gospel of Jesus Christ will be spread among all the earth. Now go down to verse 35. Therefore keep what? Come on, say it again. Therefore keep. Because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back. Who's the owner of this house, people? Jesus. Whether in evening or midnight, or when the rooster crows are at dawn, if he comes suddenly, do not let him find you. Sleeping, what I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Whoa! come on, somebody. Shout it out, one, two, three. Watch. God, do that again. Look at your neighbor. One, two, three. Watch. Wake up. You cannot be sleeping at this hour in time. Are people coming in Christ's name deceiving people? Yeah, you even got a, crack, a nut job crack guy here from Puerto Rico calling himself Jesus, putting 666 tattoos on himself. That's how crazy it's got. If you have wars and rumors of wars? You have over a hundred conflicts around this world right now. Do you have famines, earthquakes? More earthquakes than ever before. A billion people going to bed hungry. The persecution of the Christian church. We're dying more at a more higher rate than we've ever died. 100,000 a year are being martyred. And is the gospel being preached among the earth? Yes, it is. And that's the last thing to be fulfilled before he comes back. So what are you saying to the people around you? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. What are you giving as a message to this world? My message would be, Jesus is coming back. Some point in your life, you have to confront every relationship with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the practicals as we come to Matthew 10, 26. Number one, confront every relationship with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every relationship you are in, you have got to warn people. I know sometimes it's awkward. Sometimes they get offended. Sometimes they don't like it. But you have to warn every person you're in a relationship with. Every person that you see on a daily basis is your responsibility. I remember one time I was getting my hair cut. And this woman was a Jehovah Witness. And I was starting to preach to her. And she said, do I go to heaven? What do you think? I said, if you have not accepted Jesus according to the scripture, you cannot go to heaven. You'll go to hell. And she started cutting my hair a little bit more intense. And my mom said, you better watch out. That woman can cut your ear right off. I'm telling you, I've had to tell people just like that, friends, that you're not alone. I remember one time I was uh, with my wife, and we were eating a meal. And 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 I was just loving on my wife. We were on date night. And, And the waiter came up to us, and he said, Other than my parents who have been married for 30 years, I've never seen a married couple be so loving with each other. Everybody go, oh. And I was so complimented by that because I treat my woman good. But you know what I said? I turned it right back. I said, you know what changed my life was Jesus. And they said, well, I I was brought up in the South. I go to church. I said, is it just religion or is it a relationship? He said, I never really thought about it. I said, unless you have a born-again relationship with Jesus, you cannot go to heaven. Within 30 seconds, that brother just heard the gospel. I mean, that man just heard the gospel that quick. Are you ready to share the message of Jesus Christ that quick with everybody in your life? Are you ready to be a watchman that says, man, I take this seriously? How much more so your family members and the people in your life? Number two is you need to pray with tears. You might say, Pastor... I've never cried with tears. I'm not an emotional person. I wish I had my mom here right now. She would tell you, Joe never cared about anybody else. But now I weep for lost souls. And when I don't, I know there's something wrong in my heart. And let me give you right now some things that will block your heart from weeping for lost souls. Number one, your selfishness. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 7, Oh, that my head were many waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I may weep day and night for the loss of my people Zion. The number one thing that will keep you from those tears is a selfishness in your heart. Because when you're down to pray, number one, you're probably there watching your clock. I'm just there for five minutes. First of all, if you're even praying. Second of all, if you're praying and you're not broken for the lost, it's because you're looking at your clock saying, well, when will I get done? And you're just praying for yourself. God bless my family, bless my car, I need a new job. The second reason why you're not weeping for the lost is because you don't understand hell. The Bible says before Jesus went to Jerusalem, he knew that they were going to crucify him. And he was still crying, saying, oh, like a mother hen, I wish I could gather you together, but you don't let me do it. And Jesus wept over a city. Jesus wept over the city that was going to crucify him. I mean, who has done that to you? Nobody. You have no excuse. The only reason you don't weep for them after your own selfishness is because you don't understand hell. You don't understand the reality of it. Every great preacher worth anything in the kingdom of God has been given a taste of hell. I was given it through my sister, and I was given it through dreams, and just seeing things in my dreams that scared me and just put a fear in me that if I don't preach... I could be responsible for sending these young ones there. And the Bible says it would be better for me to put a milestone around my head and drown myself. The equivalent would be better for a preacher to put a shotgun to his mouth and blow his brains out than to cause a young person to stumble. And it's not only for preachers, by the way. It's for anybody. Number one, it's selfishness. Number two, you don't understand hell. Look at how Jesus describes it. He says, there'll be weeping, gnashing of teeth. The Bible says there'll be a worm that crawls in and out. An endless fire. And why don't we cry when we pray? Because our hearts are hard. And we don't care about anybody other than ourselves. And we don't understand hell. And number three, we're not close to Jesus. Because if you just got to step closer to Jesus, you would hear his heart breaking for the lost. All Jesus cares about right now is lost souls going to heaven. He does not care about our economy. He does not care about our clothes. He does not care about any of those things. As a matter of fact, he said it would be better for you to cut off your arms, your legs and pluck out your eyes than to go to hell. If you were close to Jesus, you would hear his heart breaking for the lost. He doesn't look at them the way you do. Those of you who ignore the lost, he doesn't look at it like, oh, they're just good, they're going to get in. He knows that they're going to suffer, and it breaks his heart. He doesn't ignore it. It's a reality to him. And the other thing is, is his heart breaks for it because he knows that people are there right now. He sees it. Do you know that during the thousand, millennial, the thousand year millennial reign before God destroys the earth that we will see the depths of hell and people suffer there? And then after that is when every tear is wiped away and our memories washed clean of their remembrance those of you who don't understand, end times, this is how it goes. Right now, we're waiting for the rapture. That's a calling up to Jesus. Then there's going to be seven years of tribulation. During that time, the Antichrist will rise to power. He'll deceive many. And then the judgments will come that you see in Revelations for the last three and a half years. At that point, uh, the Antichrist will try to destroy Israel. At that time, Israel will be redeemed, serving God. Then at that point, there's going to be Jesus Christ and the angels coming down, destroying the devil. and his army with the antichrist okay that's armageddon a billion people will die blood be as high as a horse's head and then the earth will be at peace for a thousand years during that time you'll see hell and you'll see heaven after that thousand years there will be the great right throne judgment where all those who serve the devil along with the devil himself will be thrown into the lake of fire and all those who've served God will be upon the recreated heavens and earth come on somebody say amen that's some good doctrine by the way You say, well, I don't believe in the rapture. Hey, that's okay. Just be ready when he comes. Amen? Okay, because one way or another, it's coming. If you don't care about the loss, it's because you care more about yourself. You don't understand hell. And you don't understand how close it is to be with Jesus. Because right now, Jesus is asking the Father for mercy. And He's sending forth the laborers. Why is it you think all of our missionaries are some of the most broken hearted people you'll ever meet in your life? Tisa. How many remember when Tisa was here? Works in Mozambique. Over 10,000 churches. Tears coming down her eyes. Just crying out for people to get saved. Why? Because she's so close to Jesus. Why is it that when you read missionary stories, what motivated David Livingston? What motivated those people? It was missionaries that were broken hearted. David Livingstone went to Africa in the time when there was no trains and planes and automobiles. He took a boat in the 1800s. Then he hiked, and he went there for three days, hiking journey. When he arrived there, they wanted to kill him. He was a white boy from England, but he spent his life there. His wife got sick, went back to America, and died. He spent the rest of his life in Africa praying. And as an old man, they put him on a stretcher, moved him from village to village, How dare any atheist question our love for God and people when David Livingston went to Africa to tell the poor African little children about Jesus. You see, if it's your fault, it's your fault. But don't put that on Christ and His church. There have been people going to the four corners of the world warning every little baby girl and baby boy about heaven and hell. Like you see us in Chilapa teaching the children about Ten Commandments because if they don't hear, they will perish too, my friends. They would carry David Livingston along in a stretcher. And as he was in that stretcher, they would put him on his knees every night and say, and they would put him on his knees and he would say, let me pray for Africa before I go to bed. And there one night after preaching in the villages, they put him on his knees and he died on his knees praying for Africa. And when they took his body, they brought him all the way to England to be shipped over and to be buried as a hero because the Christians were praying that he would win Africa. And when they got to the place of the ship, the African people said, we're going to do an African tradition, cut out his heart and bury it under the first tree he preached in because his body may go back to England, but his heart always belongs to Africa. That's what it takes to change the world. Where is your heart, my friend? If they buried you right now, where would they cut out your heart and put it? Under Macy's? Under your job? Where would they put it? Under your 65-inch TV and the Cubs? The White Sox? Where is your heart? Look at Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 gives us a plea from Jesus. Matthew chapter 10, verse 26 says, so do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. When we go on our missionary trip to New Orleans, why are we bringing that megaphone? Because we're going to proclaim it from the roofs of Bourbon Street. Wow, that gets me excited. Hallelujah. When was the last time you proclaimed something about God from the rooftops? Oh, sure enough, we'll scream for our winning team. We'll make a fool out of ourselves at a sporting event. But when was the last time you stood up on a street corner, went out preaching and did evangelism with us, and just preached the Word of God? He says, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and body and in hell. Yeah. It says right here, are not two sparrows sold for a penny yet? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than all the sparrows. Verse 32, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before him my, acknowledge him before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Look at verse 34. All of you who love Dito Jesus on a Christmas morning, little baby wrapped in a manger, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against his mother-in-law or mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. God said, through Jesus Christ, I came to start a fight. Woo! Come on. He said, I came to start a fight. So people looking at you all crazy, no, that's what we came here for. It's the sword. It's the word of the Lord. And there's a fire that's coming down, and I wish it was here right now because God will separate the wheat from the chaff. Woo! Everybody here better get right or you're going to get left. Come on, everybody, I know you're not deaf. I'm telling you, you better get right. We're having a good time because many of us here know what heaven is. We know what hell is and we got Jesus in our lives. Those of you who think it's a game, you will lose this game and it will be for eternity. Jesus told us, what I whisper to you, shout from the rooftops. When was the last time you were in prayer and God whispered to you about somebody in your family? And you went to them and said, I've got to tell you this. God has told me, unless you change, you will suffer. I remember when I was a, a teenager, my grandmother here, my Polish grandmother in Chicago on the south side, was always so nice to me, Joey, Joey. When, when I was going through my hard times as a rebellious teenager, 15, 16 years old, she would say, Joey, what's wrong with you, Joey? We love you. You should do good. She loved me so much. And when I turned my life over to the Lord, I went to Bible college, and I lost touch with that part of my family. And one time, Pastor Choco of New Life Covenant called me down to preach for him. And I was preaching at his church, and I said to one of the girls' ushers with some of the guys, I said, can you, you take me to my grandmother's house? And we got the address, and we showed up there. And I had been praying for her. And the moment I saw her, tears fell down my face. Those of you who were here when we sent forth our missionaries to Mexico, and I was blubbering like a child on the floor. That's exactly like it was. I went right to my knees, and I was weeping tears all over her feet. She was saying, Joey, Joey, what's wrong? I said, Grandma, unless you're born again, you cannot enter heaven. She says, you have your way, I have my way. I said, listen to me, Grandma, unless you're born again, you cannot enter heaven. I asked her to come hear me preach. And she said, no, no, you have your way. I have my way. Our aunt said she led her to the Lord on her deathbed. But it didn't have to be that way, friends. I want to ask you, when was the last time somebody saw you that brokenhearted for them? When was the last time You were doing ministry, those of us who minister, and I'm talking to the radicals here. You were out there ministering, and while you were talking, you're saying, you know, well, there's the four spiritual laws, and you're a sinner, and are you a liar? Yes, you're a liar. You've told a lie. When was the last time? It just hits you like a dart in the chest. Man, if they die now, they're going to hell. And you just take a step back, and you go, man, I'm just feeling it for you right now. I'm feeling that if you die, you're going to hell, and it breaks my heart. You see, with the old adage, is true. People don't care how much you know. They want to know how much you care. And gospel preachers should be the ones walking around proclaiming this message with a broken heart because we care about lost souls. We don't care if church goes long on Sunday either. Amen? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 11 in closing. Woe to us if we can't even endure a message about being a watchman. Matthew 11 verse 7. John the Baptist comes to mind when I think of a watchman. Man, isn't that guy radical? Has anybody ever just read about John the Baptist and you're like, Man, I wish I was around with that guy. Woo! I think we got some John the Baptist type people here. Amen? Amen. Praise God. I, I've always loved John the Baptist, as you can probably tell from my style of preaching. Repent. But one thing that captured my heart more than His style of preaching, listen to this, was Jesus' respect and honor for him. Think about this. The Son of God from glory came down to earth and allowed a man to baptize him. Who did he choose? John. And when he says what you're about ready to read, you can see the honor that he pays him. Let's read it in chapter 11 of verse 7. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out to the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. What's more than a prophet? That's a good question, isn't it? I have what I think my answer is. It's a watchman. It's a forerunner to Jesus Christ. Watching and getting ready for Him to come. Because there were some prophets that never saw Him come. Hello? Do you know that you can be more than a prophet in God's eyes? Because you can watch Jesus come and proclaim His coming. He says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen any greater than John the Baptist. Listen to the honor he pays, John. Nobody's been greater. Moses, Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. John the Baptist was the greatest. But hold on right here. gets good. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Oh come on, I wish I thought you would get excited. I wish somebody would get excited. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully, forcefully advancing. Not mamsy, pamsily advancing. Forcefully advancing. And those who are forceful men, glory to God, there's a place for us, baby. Forceful men, lay a hold of it for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Amen. Woo! The sissies can't be a part of this kingdom. Ain't no sissies here. Look at your neighbor and say, ain't going to be no mamsy-pamsy Christians. Come on, say, ain't no room for some sissies. You got to say, Southern, no sissies. Ain't no (laughs) sissy. There is no room for that here. Not here. It's only forceful men that want to force it, kick down the gates of hell, pimp slap the devil, rip out a lost soul, and put one in one arm on it and the other arm, one on his back and grind and sweat their way to glory. Hallelujah. Whoa We're advancing the kingdom by force. We didn't come to India and ask them if we could come. We kicked down the door, took the keys to the city and told the devil, this belongs to our God. Hallelujah. We didn't go and ask the priest if we could have a, a outreach out in Chilapa. We told him, Jesus is here and we'll exercise you like the exorcist of those false spirits. Come on somebody you got to get some tenacity in you, some boldness if you want to be a watchman. If you want to be like John the Baptist, you have to be a forceful man. We're not talking about being rude. We're not talking about being mean. We're just talking about kicking down the gates of hell and storming them and plundering hell and populating heaven. Would you stand up with me, please, in closing? Band, would you come? Let's get ready to play that song. Our City. How many have a heart today to be a watchman? It's not that complicated. All you got to do is care about lost people and pray for them with tears. What did Paul say? I have not withheld preaching the gospel without compromise and trying to dissuade all the people I spoke with. And with tears night and day, warning the people of judgment. You were told today that if you don't have tears, it's because you're selfish. It's because you don't understand what hell is, and you're not close to Jesus. Jesus said that John the Baptist was more than a prophet, the greatest among men. But now in the kingdom, he's just the least. Why is I? Why do I believe there's a difference? Because now we're baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost, and set on fire. John said, "Hey, I've been baptizing you guys in this water H2O. There's somebody's going to baptize you in fuego. Could you just imagine the people who were getting a glimpse of that? They were thinking Jesus was going to come with a blowtorch. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Amen. So we're great in the kingdom of God if we do what John the Baptist did and what did he do he said make straight the paths of the Lord prepare his way we're watching this generation each one of us at a different place at a different place in the wall to warn people of God's coming not that hell is a place where God enjoys sending people but where they have to go because of their wickedness We're going to close out singing one of my favorite songs right now. That he's the God of this city. He's the God of this people. Come on. You are the God of the city. You are the king of these people. You are the Lord of this nation. You are. You are the light in this darkness. You're the hope to the hopeless. You're the peace to the restless. You are. Keep it going, brothers. Just give it to For greater things have yet to come. And greater things are still to be done in this city greater things have yet to come and greater things are still to be done for there is no one like our God there is no one like you God Father God we ask you now to have mercy on this city, on this nation and on the nations of the world God we're going to cry out today for broken hearts and a passion to be forceful with the message oh God we want to warn this city and we want to be watchmen, Lord strengthen us when we get weak Encourage us, God, when we feel like we've been persecuted. And Lord, let us be watchmen like Ezekiel and John the Baptist. As we begin to worship, if you want to join me up at this altar, we're going to pray for our city. Hallelujah. Just join me if you can on your knees. And well, let's just get along with God today.